Eight o'clock hour underway. Kevin and Query here on a Wednesday morning. Good morning to you. Stephen Holder joining us on the Payless Liquors guest line to talk about Colts and Jaguars, among other things. You can read Stephen's work at ESPN.com. He, of course, covering not only the Colts, but the entire NFL. Stephen, I'm going to parlay off of what Kevin and I were just talking about by asking you this. Uh, against the Colts, Trevor Lawrence, for the most part, has looked like a guy that's the number one overall pick in the league. Against everybody else, he looks like a guy that is extremely pedestrian. What is the difference in terms of the way the Colts are trying to play him versus others that has allowed him to flourish within the division? Well, you know, I actually don't think there's necessarily a lot of carryover because, you know, if they played him, what, three times, I guess? And two of those times they played in a completely different defensive system, <laughs> which was last year. And this year they, they're in a different system with Gus Bradley. So I don't even think that strategically there's a lot of carryover. I, I just think they have allowed him to, to operate comfortably, you know, from the pocket. And, and particularly in this, this year's earlier game, you know, he, he was comfortable you know, making the, the quicker throws and not under a lot of duress. And I just think when a quarterback can operate comfortably, they operate at a higher level. I mean, look at Matt Ryan. He's a great example of that. When when he can't operate comfortably, he turns into mush, right? That's what he is at times right now. So I really think it's that simple. I really do. And there may be some other specific, um, you know, characteristics that, that we can find between the games. Um, in terms of strategy, but but I think that's the biggest thing, you know, particularly with young quarterbacks, right? You're talking about confidence. Trevor Lawrence is a good player, and if you allow him to, him to to do the things that that he does well, he's gonna you know he's gonna hurt you. And I think the Colts have been evidence of that. From ESPN.com, he is Stephen Holder with us every Wednesday here on Kevin and Query. Steven, it seems to be, and I, I don't know, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but with your recent line of questioning, you are working on some sort of Matt Ryan turnover story. Um, 11 fumbles, seven interceptions through the first five weeks. Part of me says Colts fans should be optimistic about Ryan turning that around. Like, he has no track record of this alarming numbers, fumbles or interception-wise, in his career. Um, it seems to be just kind of like, you know, rookie quarterback sort of mistakes. And at some point, it's like, wait, a 15-year vet can't keep on doing that. But then the other part of me is like, wait a minute, is this a 37-year-old QB whose physical gifts are starting to wane and he's simply reacting to so much breaking down around him? I go back and forth, like, by the hour. <laughs> I can't decide either. So here's what I would say. I, I think that there is reason to – to take the, the first position, right? That this is a temporary thing uh, that he'll come out of this. I've been saying that for five weeks though. And I keep wondering, okay, at what point is that going to demonstrate itself as being true? I don't know. You know, you would think at some point you would start to see some indication that that is the case. We have not. And that is what is, I, I think, discomforting about this. Now, at the same time, the offensive line play hasn't, improved drastically either so so the conditions under which he has struggled with the ball security they have they have carried on they have persisted right so i don't know if the conditions change maybe his performance changes you know that's the part we can't say 
but at some point, I, I do think, and this is what I was getting at with Marcus Brady yesterday, the offensive coordinator. You know, is, is there is there something fundamental here in Matt Ryan that you can address? Maybe not fix. I mean, the guy's thirty-seven, right? What are you going to fix at thirty-seven? But but just for the moment, you know, maybe create a heightened awareness of something he may be doing. And he did seem to indicate that he he needs to keep two hands on the ball, and maybe that is something that Matt Ryan has not consistently done. So I'll be watching for that here in the coming weeks. Steven, what's interesting to me, and I, I want you to to add in on this or, or simply tell me I'm wrong, okay, if I am. What's interesting to me I is – I happily tell you you're wrong. But, <laughs> yeah. That will be a first, means, right? Steven, We've done you. this a few times, Stephen, right? Um, <laughs> listen, when you know Matt Ryan became available to the Colts – because the Falcons publicly flirted with Deshaun Watson and Matt Ryan found out about it, and then you thought, oh, boy, now we got to do something here. We're in a unique situation. And at the time, I thought that was strictly about Atlanta being intrigued by a young player in Deshaun Watson that has a lot of upside. And I thought really that Matt Ryan was a casual, innocent victim in all of that. And now I'm wondering if, in fact, that overture was not as much about Matt Ryan as it was Deshaun Watson. Am I wrong? No, that's that's fair. That is fair. No, unfortunately, I can't tell you you're wrong because I would have taken great pleasure. Um, well, thank but, you. <laughs> well, here, here's what I'd say. I think, yes, at some point, the Falcons aren't stupid. They knew they were going to have to hit the reset button at some point. I mean – the, the Colts cut Peyton Manning, right? Different circumstances, completely different circumstances. Let me be clear. But I'm just saying, you know, there are situations that require a reboot at times. And while the Falcons didn't have a, a number one overall pick you know, in the draft waiting in the wings like the Colts did with Andrew Luck, so the situation is completely different. They, they knew at some point they were going to have to reboot that quarterback. I mean, he's 37. They are a little bit of they're they're in a rebuilding phase honestly i mean that's that's where they are they're, they're probably over, outperforming you know their expectations a little bit just in terms of how they're playing maybe not their record but how they're playing but but yeah they're they're kind of rebuilding so they knew that uh and, and i think that was that was understood going into that whole flirtation with deshaun watson now i do think just in my reporting that that the Deshaun Watson, the, the specific uh, interest in Deshaun Watson, and given all the controversy about Deshaun Watson, it pissed off Matt Ryan. And he'll never say it. He will never, ever, ever, ever say it. But I think he took great offense to that. Now, that has nothing to do with your question, per se, but, but I do think that sort of escalated things a little bit. And, but at the same time, look, I mean – the, the Falcons were very accommodating <laughs> and they were like, Hey, if you want out, we're fine with that. So I think that does tell you something. It tells you they were ready to move on, whether they were ready to move on or at least prepared to move on. Maybe it, it's partly because of, of where he is in his performance and his age and so forth. And also just their, their need to turn the page. It's a little bit of both, but you're not wrong. It wasn't completely just a matter of, Okay, Matt Ryan's angry. He doesn't like us anymore. Let's let's let him have a way out. It, it was more complicated than that. Stephen Shifton gears the O line. Um, how surprised are you that it's both the run blocking and the pass blocking? Like they're 29th in yards per carry. 
Yeah. They're 29th in sacks allowed. You know, sometimes you see offensive lines, it's one thing or the other. I thought last year the O-line was a pretty good run-blocking unit. Pass-blocking had some issues. How surprised are you that it's a little, really a little bit of both? A lot of yeah, both, frankly. It, it's my it's my biggest surprise because I thought the the pass-blocking started to erode last year. So I'm I'm surprised it's as bad as it is. Don't get me wrong. It's, it's god-awful. It's offensive. <laughs> okay. But at the same time, I saw some slippage last year. And, and I think part of that was we saw the left tackle issue last year. It was an issue last year. It's been an issue this year. Uh, I think those – but those three key spots, I'm talking about Quentin Nelson, Braden Smith, and, and, and Ryan Kelly, they were relatively consistent. Uh, although Quentin was hurt most of the year, had his worst season. But even, even by – even considering all of that, I thought Quentin Nelson was was certainly um, good enough, right? Braden Smith, when he was hurt, he really struggled. When he was healthy, he played fine. Brian Kelly was in and out of the lineup. You know the story there. But he was okay. Uh, I, I think the the slippage of those three guys has been stunning to me. Um, but I think specifically to your question, the, the, the most stunning thing has been just the slippage in the run blocking because the one thing these guys could do and the one thing they always enjoyed doing, these are the, these are the run the damn ball guys, right? Okay. The guys who, who wore the hats proudly and, and wore that physical play on their sleeves, that demeanor, they created that. They, they, they created the demeanor of this team for three years. These are the guys who now can't run block. And that's, that's like shocking. That is shocking. That being said, Here's the silver lining, and it ain't much. <laughs> I think we saw the best rushing performance since week one on Thursday night against Denver. I know it wasn't the prettiest. I understand that. But they had their, their highest, uh, I think their, their best rushing performance since week one, and they did it without uh, Jonathan Taylor. And we're talking about this on a week after, one week after against Tennessee, remember, I think there were 1.7 yards per carry. I went back and looked. That was their worst yards per carry performance in like nine years. Okay, we're talking about all all the Pagano era offensive lines, even you know Trent Richardson and all of yeah. Trent was at least two point four. Right, worse than that. Okay, Khaled Holmes and all those guys, right? You know, remember that. So we're talking about worse than that eras. Uh, most of that era's uh, yard per carry performance. And that's, I'm cherry picking stats a little bit, but I mean, it does tell you something. I think, I think yards per carry tells you a lot. So anyway, I, I saw some really viable run blocking late in that game. They busted a couple runs that they weren't long runs, but they were, they were adequate runs and the kinds of runs you need to at least make your offense functional. So get Jonathan Taylor healthy. And try to tap into that. Try to lean into that. Because you're right. The, the run blocking is the one thing I never worried about with this team. And it has it has been greatly diminished. Okay, As you look ahead to Sunday, and again, Stephen Holder's with us from ESPN.com. I've got Quentin Nelson at left guard and Sharpie. I'm moving Brain Smith back to right tackle. At yeah. left tackle, I guess you stick with Bernard Ryman. I, I do think there's an element of I probably have one eye towards the future. Let him grow. you got to help him out a little bit more than you did last Thursday. But... I think, you know, a, a, another chance makes sense. Center and right guard, though, Stephen, I debate. I, I really debate Danny Pinter and Ryan Kelly. I know financially there's no debate, but 
Uh, that's a debate for me. And then at right guard, I would debate Will Fries and Matt Pryor. I think Pryor is much more of a guard than he is a tackle. Your thoughts on that sort of offensive line makeup for Sunday? Okay, I will start with okay, – so certainly I agree with you on Quentin Nelson and Braden Smith. I think those are no-brainers. Uh, you you got you to gotta stabilize the tackle spot. And, and putting Matt Pryor at right tackle was not the move. Okay, like at the end of the day, tackles right or left, you're going to see speed. All right. If you can't handle the speed on the left side, you're not going to handle the speed on the right side. So I like the I, I like the idea in theory of shaking it up last week. I'm glad they did it. It shows that they're self aware and they know that they suck right now. But that that was not the move. So yeah, get prior off off of any sort of offensive tackle spot. Uh, I do like Ryman at left tackle. I think he has a lot of upside. I actually don't think his performance was nearly as bad as the penalties indicate because I thought a couple of the penalties were a little half-assed. Can I say that on the radio? Yes. Oh, yeah. um, all right. So yeah, I thought I thought there were a couple of ticky-tack calls, and I think he settled in in the second half. I think he is the guy who has the brightest future there. There's no question. I mean, he's the only guy with a future, but but he has a future, I think, potentially, and you need to see more. So let him settle in. He did that, by the way, with no practice, literally no practice last week. So give him a shot. He's got a full week to work on it, and he's going to see all kinds of speed this week. So we'll see. We're going to find out about him this week. This is a tough matchup for him. Now, as center and, and right guard, I agree with you at right guard. I think that Pryor is a better option there. I think Will Fries is the guy we don't know a lot about, and maybe it's time to find out. I, I thought that there was a lot of optimism about him. Uh, in the off season internally and, and even in training camp, we heard some good things. I don't know. I mean, how bad could he be? Let's see. By the way, it's a tough one. Steven speaking collegiately real quick, Steven, I know you're a graduate of Miami. Uh, They're on, they're on a real hot streak here, right? The hurricanes. Well, I mean, hot streak of not losing by three touchdowns, losing to Texas A&M losing to, was it mid Tennessee state? Uh, it's it's Middle Tennessee State. Sorry, okay, sure. Middle the, Tennessee the three State. Three people in our in our listenership who went there would and be losing to North Carolina. Uh, what the hell's going on with Miami? They they had high expect. I mean, honestly, and, and I'll I'll turn it you know localize it here, but it's kind of like the Colts, right? I mean, there was this high expectation, and you just kind of go, what's going on here? Well, the, two th- one thing, two things actually. The the expectations were 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 a little too grand for sure. There's no question about it. Were they that. for the, the Colts? Well, the Miami. I know, but what sure. I'm saying, were they the Colts, were they equally inflated for the Colts? Yeah. I, yeah, I guess if you consider where they're at right now versus what they were talking about before the season, I, I guess so, yeah. And and I think for different reasons, but but there's there is one common there's one common sort of characteristic between the two. I think both teams had a lot of high hopes at quarterback and the quarterback production has been underwhelming for both. You know, I I think they were talking about, you know, Miami's quarterback, for example, being a a first round pick, potentially projected first round pick next year. Uh, We obviously Matt Ryan, there's a lot of hope invested in him and, and that hasn't panned out. So it goes back to quarterback at, at every level of football, right? That's the other thing. That's the one thing I should say. The, the thing with Miami, I would say, is that I think really the the, the personnel was over was certainly overrated outside of quarterback as well. 
I think next year they have a pretty good recruiting class if they can keep these guys, if they don't get so offended and maybe go somewhere else. If they can keep that recruiting class intact, they have a chance. That's not necessarily a, a, a parallel with the Colts there, but I do think the one, the one possible parallel is that some of the returning players of the Colts are underperforming. Maybe some of the players we thought with Miami who were, who were better, we thought they were better than they are, turns out they're not. And I don't know. I, I, the difference is some of these players in Indianapolis have played well before, i.e. the offensive linemen, and now can't get their act together. So I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching a little bit there, but, but I, I see where you're going with that. There definitely were expectations that have not been met on both sides. Steven, um, one coach is in his first year. The other guy's on the hot seat. <laughs> now, do you think Frank Reich is on the hot seat? I do. Yeah. You think absolutely. Chris Ballard's on the hot seat? Uh, his seat is warm, not hot. Okay. Um, we 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 got just rousing. We had a meeting the other day where they they did some market research and said that the number one topic that we talked about in the last month was DB Cooper in terms of audio, uh, you know, audience response. And so since we know now that you're a fascination uh, with D.B. Cooper, um, have you watched the Dahmer show on Netflix? We finished it last night. Have you watched it? No, I, I've only gotten through one episode. and I, I, I downloaded a bunch of them uh, saying I was going to watch them on my flight out west last week, and I just ended up working half the way, half way through the flight, so I didn't get very far. But okay. I've got it queued up. So circle well, back uh, to Spoiler you. alert, he gets convicted. Um, oh boy. But well, that doesn't seem fair. No. <laughs> yeah, curious if you have a counter to that, Stephen. We have you on next Wednesday. I, I did want to go back to just saying before we got into Miami's five-star recruits. I think you were going to say something on the Ryan Kelly front. Uh, oh, can, yes, yeah. Well, I uh, and I get injuries I have played into it, Stephen. I I get injuries have played into it. Yeah. But I just have seen a, a downfall, and every week I feel like we watch these telecasts and Pro Bowl center Ryan Kelly. I'm like, well, not really. It's I'm I'm kind of stunned, man. I don't know what to, I don't know how to how to talk about it anymore. And when I when I mean that, what I mean by that, excuse me, is I don't know what to say. You know what I mean? Like I, I don't know how to explain it. I'm not saying that Ryan Kelly was ever, you know, some Hall of Fame player. But my God, what in the world? I, I don't know, man. I, I can't understand it. And I want to believe that he's just massively injured. <laughs> I want to believe that because I like Ryan Kelly. I think he's a good player, or at least at one point was. And I'm not seeing it, and I don't understand it. I, but I agree with you. I think it's going to be extremely difficult, though. It will be extremely difficult for, for them to bench him. Uh, it, it would be probably the, the biggest personnel decision Frank Reich's ever made. Not because he's just, you know, this great player, but just in terms of status, right? Yeah, longest well, Steven, tenure, like, Colt. Don't laugh at me here. Could they move him elsewhere? I, I, I don't know. I, don't I mean, know. They... I don't know. I don't know the last time he played anything but center. I, I mean, could he do it? Theoretically, sure. Uh, but, you know, is it, is it a good move? Is it the best move? I have no idea. And I don't know if they do either. I, I don't think they have any clue. He's never played anything else. When when it comes to putting Danny Pinter into the sitter position, do you feel like that, for both you guys, Kevin, uh, feel free to chime in here, is that sentiment, do you think, more about the fact that Danny Pinter played it at a level that it's hard to keep him away from it, or Ryan Kelly has simply regressed to the point where it's dangerous to have him there? 
Uh, I think that two things. Number one, I think Danny Pinter is a viable NFL player, but not at guard. He is a viable NFL player at center. Um, Ryan, is he, is he an upgrade from Ryan Kelly right now? Pro- probably a little bit. I, I think we probably need to see a little more, but all I know is Ryan Kelly is hurting them. That That is a fair statement. Ryan Kelly is hurting them. Now, if you get better play at right guard and stabilize the right guard spot, does that help your center? It does. And, and maybe that makes a difference, but you know, we're, we're projecting there. I don't know. Steven, last one from me. Um, by no means am I saying this as a starting jump, but do you think we are close at all to Sam Ellinger dressing for this football team this season? Like, do you think it's crept into their minds of like, man, if Ryan gets hurt, we don't want a statue back there. We'd rather just have Ellinger running around and maybe you would wait for Ryan actually to get hurt to make that move. But it seems like with the injuries starting to pile up for this team, the first time that's really been notable, noticeable that this season, we're kind of reaching a point where they got to do something with Sam Ellinger. Uh, I don't think so. And and I'll tell you why two things. Number one, their record is such Look, I get, I I see it. Okay. I, I know what they look like. Okay but that doesn't matter. Their, their record is such, and until this changes, the record is such that they are in the playoff race. Okay. Oh, for sure. And they've got, they're the AFC South at, favorite in Vegas. Yeah. I mean, they've got, they've got, at, they're at Tennessee next week. They can go down there and they can change everything. Right. So we'll see. Uh, so that's the first thing. That's the reality of it. And, and by the way, you got a coaching staff that is singularly focused on, on trying to win because they know what's at stake. <laughs> their livelihood is at stake. And, and I think the players, you know, the players see it that way too. I mean, anyway, so the other thing is for all of his absolute disastrous play so far for Matt Ryan, okay, and it has been bad at times, really bad at times. Matt Ryan, they, they don't win that game last week without Matt Ryan. There's no way. And I know that he caused a lot of the problems that got them to, to, to have to make a fourth quarter comeback, and that was probably true in the previous games too. Be that as it may, all right, Sam Ellinger, if he ever steps in there and plays, he's going to screw up too, <laughs> okay? Let me tell you, he's probably going to screw up a lot. And and that's not a slight to him. It's just the product of, of a young quarterback playing, right? That's going to happen, especially one who has disadvantages like he does. Size, uh, certainly arm strength, all those things, right? So Matt Ryan's ability to, in the face of, you know, a, a pretty daunting situation, be able to step in there and make difficult throws, which he did do and has done in fourth quarters of most of their games. That's going to be the difference right now and I, in the coaches' minds, and I don't think anything will change as a result of all of those reasons. It'll be the uh, first uh, rematch in the AFC South this season for the Colts. As Steven said, it's at Tennessee next Sunday, but home to Jacksonville coming up this Sunday at 1 o'clock. The Colts are a two-point favorite currently in that one. Steven, as always, thank you, my man. Okay, guys. Talk to you soon.